0: Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of Bella Hoodman's Curse, coming from you today or coming to you today from two different locations. We have Julian on location in Ottawa. Uh, Julian, how you doing?
1: Not bad, yourself, Steve.
0: Doing good. I know we've been away for a little while, so we want to apologize to the listeners there. I know you were starting to get used to us coming out with a a bit more of a regular schedule, but some things came up, and uh, but we're back, and we think. you know what it looks like is we're going to be continuing on this prevailing theme of racism as uh, as it was in the international matches, primarily with uh, what culminated in uh, in Bulgaria between the Bulgarian national team and the English national team. Julian, you listen to the Guardian's podcast. Uh, they released a special episode on it. Why don't you give us a little bit of a like a, your thoughts on what happened? Your thoughts in the podcast. And then we'll kind of discuss generalities.
1: Yeah, um, like I guess the best place to begin is um, you know, uh, England played a qualifier in Bulgaria last uh, Monday night, I believe it was. And uh, the final score was 6 0, but that really didn't matter at all given what actually happened. Uh, some actually, some of the most probably repugnant uh, racist chants that we've ever heard. Uh, and uh, uh, exhibitions of racism uh, probably ever seen in a football pitch was exhibited in in Bulgaria. And uh, I guess basically what people are saying out there is that this could potentially be one of those watershed moments where maybe something might occur. Uh, A lot of people are hard-pressed to say that perhaps uh, FIFA and football in general will respond the way that it should, in a normative sense. Uh, however, uh, what we're seeing here is uh, perhaps maybe uh, you know a point on the timeline in which uh, things might shift. And uh, I personally, for one, think it's about time. Steve, you watched the game, didn't you?
0: Yeah, so I saw the first pause of it uh, when Tyrone Ming's which I guess kind of sucks for him. It's his uh, debut with the national team. Uh, And this guy came up uh, through being released from a big club and now is captain of Aston Villa. Uh, And to have to go through that and he points it out to the linesman, despite it being glaringly obvious that it had been going on for at least five, 10 minutes, not to say it didn't come right from the start, but it was becoming more and more obvious as the game wore on, and and really, it was being ignored. So,
1: yeah, that that, that that's the general consensus. And I think there was a moment too. I I, I watched some of the clips on, on YouTube, and there was a moment there where the uh, stewards, the Bulgarian stewards, took off their yellow vests and joined up, uh, ran up into the stands and joined along with the chanting. Right.
0: Well, why bother abandoning your yellow vest? We all know how how that makes you look in the first place but at the same time yo you're right there were a fair amount of stewards and I think that becomes the cause for 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 a safety like a, a beyond just the racism but like a major safety concern not that this wasn't already a safety concern but it, it's it becomes even more of a safety concern when the people who are there supposedly uh, marshalling people like this um join in on on the action it looks like uh bulgaria has charged um four fans and have banned only four people so they were banned 443 uh pound by the looks of it uh and banned from sporting events for two years four fans only uh the fans were punished by police rather than the court because bulgaria's law is for the protection of public order during sporting events. There were um, a total number of seven people arrested, one of them who is a minor. Um, And actually on Tuesday, the president of the Bulgarian Football Association resigned.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little facts and tidbits that should be kind of like put out on the table before I think we examine... The issues itself. I mean, there, there was also, you know, Krasimir Ball, uh, uh, or no, uh, I mean, Krasimir, uh, the, the coach, Balikoff, of, uh, Yeah, Balikoff, Sorry, that's it. I could, I got the name wrong. Krasimir's I, his first name. Watson, you're right. Like the player, actually. You know, he started off too in, in the pre press conferences. You know, everybody kind of knew full well that there was going to be some kind of exhibition of of some really ugly uh, uh, behavior. And, uh, you know, he, one of the things I think he started off sounding really, really smart. And I thought it was interesting in the fact that he said at one point, he says, you know, um, you know, we shouldn't be just concerned about the Bulgarian fans, you know, England's got its own problems. And then afterwards, you know, he, he kind of like shrugged it off, like paid attention, like he basically paid, uh, uh kind of like real, um, Poor attention in the press conference. Uh, He said he wanted to speak football uh, and didn't want to focus on the issues. After his team had lost 6 nothing, and apparently has only scored like a couple of, a handful, not even a handful of goals in the last qualifiers. So, I mean, you would think that he would probably want to talk about something other than the, uh, 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 than the actual football. And then actually behaved like as if it was like he, he, even, he even had the gall to say that he didn't even hear anything or didn't even know what people were talking about. Which comes off as like just... Horrendous. And even the, the Bulgarian journalists in the press conferences were laughing about it and joking about it, like as if it was really nothing.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, if you, if you like look at the stadium, even like the amount of stickering, flags, and logos outside of the stadium before you come in kind of let you know, yeah, this was just going to happen. And I think they've even like the disrespect shown, even, you know, we hate UEFA. Let's be real. We're not fans of the governing body at all but the the no respect shirts that they were wearing uh uefa has to take action at the same time and i think that's what you know shoichkov even has come out and said the same thing although he's been accused of racism in the past as well
1: yeah yeah, and he's no prince that's for sure but i mean there's a lot of issues here and and i i mean i uh you know i'm not i'm not uh really gung-ho about uh dropping the hammer down on bulgaria just that just uh, uh right away even though what they did was reprehensible um i mean like uh, for me i mean the first thing i wanted to talk about today was this protocol okay and i think you have a better insight into niaf can you can you describe for our audience how the protocol works
0: i can't because i think it's stupid so
1: well, what is it? What do they do? They first, they, they first stop the match. No, they right?
0: don't. They, 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 they'll stop the match and send an announcement. Well, I don't even think they really stop it. They just send an announcement over the uh, speakers telling everybody to stop or the match will be stopped. Then they're supposed to do that another couple times. times uh, and teams can't walk off. I think there's like the fourth thing that they're allowed to do. Um, I disagree with you completely. I say, drop the hammer. Um, But we'll get into that. Maybe. Well, yeah, the, the reason why
1: I say drop the hammer, I mean, this week alone, there was like, and I mean, I mean, England has to clean up its own backyard before they start telling the rest of the world how to behave. And uh, I mean, in particularly with the racist chance, we've had racist chance at Premiership games. Uh, the, the first one that comes to mind is Chelsea. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind is the, the horrible treatment that Raheem Sterling has had to put up with over the last couple of years within the media, but, without the but, media. So, within,
0: I'll, this, I'll, like, I
1: mean, if, if they want to. To lead by example, I mean, uh, start having the zero tolerance policy uh, in their own
0: backyard, so d- d-
1: and then perhaps maybe they can lead by
0: example. So I think you're a little bit off on that, though, because for the most part, England does issue lifetime stadium bans and will, and and charge people now. So in the last, yeah, like, they
1: charge individuals, and they treat the symptoms as opposed to the root cause. And and this is it. Like I mean, if, if you if you really thought, wanted to be serious about this with with, uh, uh, with Bulgaria. They would make an example of them flat out, basically saying something to the effect of look, five years, you're banned, Uh, not only at the national level, but at the club level from competing in in Europe. Uh, And as far as the English game goes, I mean, listen, this has trickled down from the top to the bottom. And the idea of just like you know uh, individual punishments as opposed to collective punishments, I just don't think works at all. I mean, if you know, if if you have to go through this ridiculous protocol where they go once or twice, they warn you, and then the third option is that they give the club uh, the, 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 the the club on the pitch uh, the opportunity to basically walk off if they want, and they know that they kind of like put that in, you know. Onto the players' shoulders. Is this something that you know? It, it, it's,
0: it's outrageous. It's outrageous. So you know, those are there. those are UEFA's protocols, though, and I would say that the Premiership takes a bit of a harsher stance. Although you're right, I think punishing the clubs probably has to be the next step. Um, well, it's it's, it's, a, it's a
1: collective problem. It's not an individual problem. And when you single out like four or five bad apples, I mean, that, that, you know, that, this is this is this doesn't address the problems of, of the structural racism that exists w- within the game itself. And I think if they started to punish the teams and the clubs at a national level, I think you would see, you know, there's 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 something more at stake. I, I
0: don't I don't disagree with that, but I think they also have to go after the individual at the same time. Like, well, of course. I you, mean you absolutely no deserve your punishment at that time. And I think of, of of all of the countries face like every country is facing this issue, except probably MLS um, which is surprising that it really hasn't leaked into MLS yet.
1: Well, I mean, but this this raises another interesting issue that was discussed about in the pod, and I, and I and I think that this kind of addresses the problem here too. In the United States, we we know what the problem is uh, at the broader level of of racism, and you know, every time that racism uh, uh, pops its head up in, in professional or amateur sport in the United States, you know, we get this cliched response as to. Oh, we should have a conversation about this. Well, I mean, how many conversations are we going to have? This is 2019, for crying out loud. You know, I mean, th- th- this is just a way to keep skirting the issue. And and I mean, like, I, I, I really think, that, like, even in the events in Italy just recently, where you had supporters of one club supporting the, uh, uh, the supporters of another club in their racist behavior, and I mean, Uh, a a slap on the wrist. Uh, I mean, uh, the the ideal penalty for Cagliari, the club that basically behaved this way, or Hellas Verona's, should be like basically the loss of points. Like minus six, minus nine. And then we'll see uh, exactly how how the the, 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 the fans respond. But I actually have a a corollary to this. Okay? And the corollary to me is, is, uh, you know, we talk about this almost in a separate compartment as to like racism in football this is where the world is right now okay and what we're seeing here is a symptomatic symptomatic rise of the right all over the world the far right the reactionary right the racist right i mean at what point do you draw the line at this point and say that this is not really a problem of football but this is a problem of of society and where we're moving and that is where you know my heart kind of sinks to my feet Because I don't see this problem going away anywhere soon. And even though I speak in such righteous tones, I don't even think a band from Bulgaria or Hungary, whose whose fans uh, exhibited the same kind of racism over these qualifiers, would really accomplish much at this point.
0: Yeah, now what I would say is I know we're kind of, I'm kind of being the side of England a little bit here. But if you if you heard what Southgate said in his post match interview and and further to it, he's also like the the players and management recognized that like there are issues in England still as well, right? So, but I think Barry Glendening because we're we've been we're talking about racism, but Barry Glendening's made probably the strongest point. Being an Irishman, um, made the 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 strong argument on the pod about. Uh, how McLean has faced racism specifically with the the shouts of being called a Fenian because he won't wear uh, a poppy uh, when the league does their remembrance celebration week where they all wear poppies on the kit. Um, Which is
1: know racist in my opinion. Well, and that's,
0: and I think that's where the English are still turning a blind eye um, because they've done, they do nothing about it. Um, But there's a bit of, and and then there's the, the, but you brought up the media and that's, I think where the issue has to be is because it's it's the, 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 the English media in particular has been incredibly hypocritical. Uh, And then even politicians like Boris Johnson, let's face it, uh, is like next to Trump, probably one of the more racist white English speaking, barely English speaking uh, leaders in the free world right now. And the fact that he thinks, like, the fact that he wants to accuse um, another country of racism when he's, the, the, I'm not even going to repeat half the things he said because I think they're terrible, but that's, I think, where I have the issue with England is this level of uh, we are better than you and we do better than you when any racism is still racism.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's not like it's racist light in England and racist heavy in Bulgaria. Uh, but, I mean, uh, we have, uh, we have like, some seriously, uh, seen some seriously ugly problems in England, on the continent, wherever. And I think one of the things that, that like, you know, uh, political scientists always talk about moments, moments. And this, to me, is absolutely a moment where, you know the uh, uh, the governing associations such as FIFA or the English FAA or the Spanish FAA or the Italian FA all have their opportunities to do something here. And you know this could be a watershed moment. and I just don't see anybody taking that sort of initiative. you know, there'll be a lot of polemics. there'll be a lot of great writing in the, in the press. People will write wonderful uh, treaties as to how brutal this is. But at the end of the day, I don't see this very conservative establishment wanting to kind of rub shit all over their brands, and that's really what it comes down to, in my
0: opinion. Well, I think it, it 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 reminds me very much of what's going on, what what has been happening in the NFL. We'll just take the last what I think four years, four years, three years ago, or four years ago since Kaepernick was last yeah. quarterback at that point. Um. I think that's that's like the the best American example you can give, uh, in in more of a in a smaller area, I guess. Um, struggling to find how I'm trying to explain this. Um, specifically, you're right. The brand, the NFL doesn't want the doesn't want to face its issues, and I don't think. I don't think leagues across Europe and around the world want to face these issues either.
1: No, uh, uh, and here's the point. They can't. uh, And I just don't understand that because are they happier with, uh, you know, uh, Spanish ultras throwing bananas at at players of African origin and engaging in monkey monkey chants and watching ultras uh, in Italy basically, you know, give the, 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 the Nazi salute? I mean, this is preposterous. I mean, they have to take a stand this is not like somebody, you know, this isn't a, 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 a kind of like, you know, well, we're kind of on the fence here kind of a situation or that there's some kind of gray area. This is pretty cut and dry what we're dealing with here, you know. I mean, the very fact that half the stadium in Bulgaria was closed was because they basically already were punishing them for acts in the past. And then they, they, they closed certain parts of it because they had to separate the two the, the two major sects of ultras from beating the crap out of each other so i mean like you know this, this, this the time is ripe and uh, unfortunately i mean i can sit here till the cows come home and talk about how the, how many opportunities and- where the places are, and I just don't see it. I mean, what what do you expect from a sport that basically, you know, uh, has like, you know, the the biggest brand across the world, Real Madrid, their ultra slogan is Siempre Madrista, Siempre Fascista. I mean, how do you allow something like this? How could you allow something like this? You know? So, I mean, I I don't hold much hope for this.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, I guess what I'll do, uh, final thoughts, Julian. Or was that your final thought? Uh,
1: um, I, I, I think that uh, England is uniquely positioned here to lead by example. And uh, I, I, I hope that uh, they listen to the words of Southgate, because I thought what he said was very thoughtful at the end of the game. Uh, uh, and uh, he basically, you know, kind of, you know, turned the mirror inward and said, listen, You know, uh, we've got problems of our own. We also have to fix, you know, Uh, without, you know, paying short shrift to what had just happened in in Sofia uh, a few hours earlier. So, you know, that's what I think is that uh, particularly uh, the English FA is uniquely positioned to do something, and I really wish they would. All
0: right. Uh, When we come back, uh, we're going to get into what happened over the international qualifying break uh, match-wise. Uh, and then do some previews of some of the more exciting matches coming up this weekend uh, and uh, over the next couple of weeks. We're also going to jump into, I'm going to ask Julian a question that's going to surprise him. We'll be right back. And we are back. So I, I said I was going to ask Julian a question. So the Golden Boy uh, Top 20 was released um, earlier this week. Uh, who are your thoughts? Who's best? Who are the best? Give them three best young players in the world right now. Oh, uh,
1: the kid from Barcelona, uh, Fatih, is that his last name, I yep. believe? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I find him to be, I, I think I would put him on that list. I put Joao Felix on there. Uh, and, uh, wow.
0: I can't remember
1: the kid's name, but that 16-year-old defensive midfielder who plays for Ryan in France. Uh,
0: He didn't even get nominated.
1: Which is a shame. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to choose from. I mean, there's a a, a burgeoning crop of players. Uh, I mean, the best in the world at this moment, that's a tough one. I mean, that's a tough one. If I had to give... uh, If I had to give... Give it to
0: somebody, I'd have to give it to jean Felix. Yeah, so I think Jaden Sancho's on that list as well. Uh, who else we got? I know we were fans of the link before he went to Juve. He has not been very good since the move.
1: I'm assuming De Jong is also on that list too,
0: he, right? right? He is not. Wow. Uh, Donnarumma is on the list still because he's still on, well, he's 20 now, so he stays on the list. Uh, Nicolas Zagnolo.
1: I find that a little bit tough. That's,
0: that, I mean, is a good player, but to say he belongs in that company, I don't know about that. Uh, yep. Uh, who else do we have here? Mason Mount at Chelsea because he's been playing well. I don't think that's very right, but okay. Uh, Erling Brout Holland at Red Bull Salzburg, the striker that you're a big fan of. That kid is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Moise Keane. Cool. Uh, Matteo Guendouzi at Arsenal. I don't see that. Vinicius Jr. at Madrid. Phil Foden at Manchester City. Uh, there are a bunch here, but I'm skipping some. Alfonso Davies. That's kind of cool. A Canadian getting nominated for it. That's great. Uh, and uh, like you said, Anthony Fatty. I think there are, there are, you're right. There are so many players that could be on this list that, that, uh, that aren't, and surprisingly, aren't on the top 20.
1: Did Chiazza make the list? No. Wow.
0: So, European qualifying. So we had some interesting matches. Italy qualifies for the tournament with their big 5-0 win over Liechtenstein.
1: Yeah, they were in a weak group, but this is a very, very, very young squad. uh, And... uh, I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to perform.
0: Qualifying is qualifying. Doesn't matter how you get there, you're there. Uh, the Ukraine, uh, not the Ukraine. Ukraine beat Portugal two one uh, in an incredible. I watched that game from start to finish. Uh, what a game that was! I've never like the Ukraine probably should have scored four or five. Portugal only scored from a penalty. They weren't. I don't. I don't think they were very impressive, to be honest. Um, who would have thought Shevchenko would turn into uh, a good coach? Ukraine hasn't lost a, a qualifying match uh, yet. Um, yeah,
1: I, 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 I'm, I'm not as ready to pull the trigger on Shevchenko yet. I mean, uh, I mean, he's done marvelous things, but it's still very, very, very early.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, Anything else? I I actually don't think the well, European story clause... is
1: Spain drawing in the last two matches. Which uh, I mean, uh, something there's something rotten in the Spanish national team.
0: Right yeah, it's named Sergio Ramos. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about the team itself. Well, right? if you Ramos, if, if you Ramos look, shit
1: shithousing is always going to be an issue, yeah. but. I mean, the team just does not seem to be playing
0: well at all. Well, it's it's very new, right? So, if you looked at the at the team, if you looked at the the starting eleven against um, Sweden, it was or no, in the Norway match, sorry, um, they it was eleven players from eleven different clubs for I think the first time in a very I can't it would have been a very long time because the team's almost always been dominated between Barcelona and Real Madrid. But it was eleven players from eleven different clubs, so I think
1: yeah, with only five international goals among all of them.
0: Yeah, so I think that's where the issues are are being found. Is they really haven't found goal scorers, pure goal scorers, to replace David Villa uh, and Fernando Torres.
1: Well, I mean, again, I mean, there's a problem in this damn. Thing that everybody there's a six hundred pound gorilla in the room that nobody ever wants to talk about, and I just cannot see why these qualifying uh, uh, tables and you know I mean these these uh, groups. I mean you have you know teams like San Marino, uh, uh, um, what else? Gibraltar, uh, Liechtenstein. Malta the Faroe Islands I mean at what point do they, these are giveaways and I, I mean i i know that this i'm, I'm gonna take flack for being you know one of the elitist things uh, elitist uh, you know supporters but i, I don't I, I, I wish that they would adopt a, a, a two maybe three division kind of system that they, that they do for the for the nation's cup. And I think that they should have the same thing for the qualifying because it just doesn't make any sense anymore for like, you know, like Italy qualifying, you know, they qualified to win against Greece. But, you know, that was a giveaway five nothing against Liechtenstein. It should have been like 15 nothing against Liechtenstein for crying out loud, you know? I mean, I, I just don't understand why, why they still persist in having this kind of antiquated kind of, you know, qualifying system.
0: I don't know. I can't. I can't tell you. You and I have discussed it. I've been pretty, pretty much in agreement there. I
1: mean, like, like, like you know. I mean, you, you, there should be like a, a relegation promotion system. I mean, given on on the relative merits of the way teams like Gibraltar have been playing, and I, and I know I just included included them earlier, but Gibraltar actually could show signs that they could actually climb out of like a lower division, whereas Scotland would be definitely relegated at this.
0: I think you've got to be mixing up Gibraltar with Georgia.
1: No, Gibraltar's been playing very
0: well. Gibraltar has...
1: Been also very well.
0: Gibraltar has zero wins and like six losses, two goals for, 19 goals against, and zero points in qualifying. Georgia, well, I'm also
1: considering what they did in the Nations League, and they actually played very, very well yeah. during the qualifiers for
0: that. Georgia I mean, has division. eight points. So... I'm just looking at the tables right now. Like... But then you'd have to say, like... Over the
1: past two years, Gibraltar's had some wonderful results.
0: Yeah, not in qualifying, though. So I think that's the problem. Like, you can play well outside of qualifying. I'm
1: not sure about that, Steve. I think they played very well in the Champions League qualifying in their division against some pretty uh, 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 formidable uh, 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 oppositions. I'm pretty sure about that.
0: No, I'm looking at Nations League. The only team they beat was Liechtenstein 2 1, and they beat Armenia 1 0. Yeah,
1: and, and that, that's quite an accomplishment for, for a little country like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm looking at results. No, Gibraltar, if I'm, if I, now I haven't seen the matches, but looking at results only, no, I would disagree with you.
1: Well, I'm not going to debate on the relative merits of Gibraltar, but the basic discussion about promotion relegation system is very important. I mean, Scotland lost to Kazakhstan for crying out loud. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think my debate on it would be: you still like if a team is being relegated, like say they finish however you figure it out, but say it goes this way: is that if you finish fourth in the tournament group, you're in like a relegation group. So I think there has to be. Play to get like between the two, like like a playoff. There has to be a playoff, like there is in like Germany for promotion relegation. I think you have to have a playoff because you could have exactly you could get Scotland to be relegated and San Marino be on a promotion, and San Marino just comes up, Scotland goes down. I'm not sure that that works well. You know what I mean? I think there's more than just two tiers here.
1: Well, there'll be three for sure.
0: Um, moving on out of Europe, and I know you're boycotting the Canadian men's national team right now. Um, great result! Uh, you and I talked. You, you, you you, we did talk about this match before it happened, uh, and you didn't expect Canada to get a result. So two nil uh, at home. Uh, it's the first time they've they've uh, they've beaten the U.S. since 1985. Thoughts? It's about freaking time. That's it? That's all you got?
1: That's it. I mean, with the money and the effort that they put in and the kind of players we have, it's about time we finally put in this kind of uh, 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 performance against the United States, especially at the fact that the United States is at its most vulnerable that I've seen them in about 20 years. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they want uh, 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 plaudits from me, uh, qualify for the World Cup, and then maybe I'll have something to cheer about.
0: Okay. Um, so we've got some good matches coming up across Europe in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we'll start in England. Uh, match of the weekend across Europe has to be Manchester United versus Liverpool on Sunday. Yeah, do you have any thoughts? So, David De Gea is still injured, Pog- Paul Pogba is still out, so it means Sergio Romero is going to get the start in net. Sorry. Uh, and he's never lost. Uh, he's actually never lost at Old Trafford.
1: I think this could be. Well, I mean, this is a tough one to call. I mean, because you'll never know. But I mean, I, I, I mean, there's a bunch of ways of looking at this. I mean, the first thing, I mean, automatically based on their relative form uh, and the fact that 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 uh, United is going to be missing two of their key players in this match. Uh, this could be a, a real disaster for them, uh, you know, especially as Liverpool wants to continue, you know, uh, keeping this winning streak going, and of course they could do it against one of their arch rivals.
0: In their um, house, too. In their yeah, house.
1: And, and I mean, I think that if, like, you know, just like, let's examine just from the side that if they lose, and if they get a spanking on top of that, which is a good possibility, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, the rumblings uh, of for Skullsky to leave we'll will we'll get um we'll get louder if they win i just think they you know uh, if they get a draw,
0: hell if they get a draw
1: yeah even if they draw they're just going to prolong uh this problem that they seem to have where you know they seem to be in a in a stalemate you know like it seems to be that that, that the club just is is not really you know moving forward uh in any way i mean you know, like, this could be a disaster for them. If they take a spanking here, you know, and then maybe lose another one after this, or maybe even a couple, uh, you know, they could find themselves in a relegation battle, you know, uh, which is really not too far-fetched. And, uh, you know, then what do you do? Do you do you, do you keep, you know, saying that uh, Solskjaer needs one or two transfer windows? Um, you know, I I don't know about this. I, I, and then at the same time, you know, uh, matches like this are where players usually rise to the occasion, you know. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a real litmus test for Manchester United and the players at the lap of the pitch to see if indeed they will play for the jersey or the the crest, you know.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting match. There's been a lot of talk of Allegri coming to United um, and actually having Solskjaer move into the director of football position. Uh, so, he, as to appease the fans from what it, it sounds like.
1: Um, well, I, I've also heard that there's some real internal grumblings. I, I actually don't think Max, Massimo Allegri is the answer to Manchester's problems. No, although he could stabilize the ship.
0: Yeah, I don't think there are any coaches out there right now that can really fix uh, fix the issues for, for some time. It's bad. Things are going to be rough, so... I say it is what it is there, and uh, like I said, it, the only I don't see them firing him before January.
1: Well, if, he loses, uh, if he loses and loses bad on Sunday, I could see him going by Friday. and uh, you know I, I mean this is this is the issue. I think it's funny that class of ninety two, uh, not one of the players has emerged in any way in, or in any shape as a good coach.
0: No, but I would say none of the, like none of the players really under Sir Alex Ferguson have c- covered themselves in glory.
1: No, none at all. In many ways, yeah. No, but but the class of '92 in particular, I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's just basically a long laundry list of failures.
0: Although oh, I will say I will say this: Nicky Butt has done an excellent job with the youth squad.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know. The in, in, in the food chain of things, I mean, like really, that's like that, thats like a, a you know a, a shiner minnow in a pool of pike, you know. Uh, I mean, you take a damn look at, at like you know Roy Keane, bismol. uh Steve Bruce, uh, Ryan Giggs, uh, single-handedly almost dismantled one of the best generations that Wales has had. Uh, Phil Neville, like his stint at Valencia, is laughable. Uh, Solskjaer, does, well, I mean, Solskjaer is the only guy who actually maybe, you know, at his time... He's it technically
0: made, not class of 92, let's remember.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, Solskjaer had maybe his best time up at, uh, uh, you know, in in, in uh, Norway, but, you know, I mean, that club basically is like League 2 for crying out loud in, in, in Great Britain. So, I mean, you know, this is the thing. None, none, of, none of the players who have ever come out of that um, had any kind of coaching success whatsoever
0: um we're gonna move on to this uh to Syria because nothing i don't know nothing in England's really standing out to me right now
1: well i mean there is there there is one match I, I i did want to kind of uh bring attention to um i want it just be a just be a second year as i just get 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 my notes here uh the one match i i wanted to kind of uh bring bring attention to was the everton west Ham game and i think that that, that will that could be a, a season-changer for each one of those teams. Uh, and and also, I'm looking down the list now. Uh, Tottenham has got a glorious opportunity to rescue themselves. Uh, Wolverhampton and Chelsea have a very good opportunity to bring themselves back. And I'm very curious to see what Crystal Palace will have in store for Manchester City. Because Crystal Palace seems to be playing very, very good football as of late.
0: Yeah, I'll echo. I'm not that sure that there's
1: not much going on.
0: Everton and West Ham will be a good game. I, I, I will agree with you there. Uh, so if you move to Syria, Lazio at Atalanta looks like it'll be a good game. Uh, hopefully, your club loses.
1: Uh, well, I. It's just like I said; they're not addressing the structural problems. Just like like many of the big clubs right now that are in decline. Uh, and uh, I mean, Pioli's are the, are the, uh, I'm curious to see how Juventus is going to play after this break. They look like a. Uh, they look. It looks like the sleeping giant is a walking. Uh, they they played a marvelous second half against Inter last week, and uh, I, I I I I hate to say it, but this team this team looks like. They're going to start hitting their
0: stride very soon. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right. That, we we watched I watched some of that match. It was I would definitely agree. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on in Barcelona right now. Um, so effectively, there are rumors of a stadium ban. Uh, not this week for the match because they're I don't think they're at home this week.
1: Is it a ban or is it just basically a cancellation or a postponement?
0: No, they're either going to move their matches. Uh, well, it, I guess it's a move. It's, a it's mo- not a ban. It's a move. They will not play matches in the new ca- in the camp now.
1: Well, apparently the way it's supposed to work is that they have uh, three officials that are going to decide. Right. Well, well, first of all, you, we should give the context here, right? is uh, they jailed the, the Catalonian activists anywhere from, like, I think, what, nine to 13 years? I think it was yeah. I, think, I think it was nine nine of them. And there's been all sorts of protests in the streets and all kinds of riots. And they planned protests on the day of the, the Super Classical, which is supposed to be the Camp Nou. So what they're citing is they're citing um, uh, security uh, uh, concerns for the crowd because... The last time they had uh, the the classical, the the the, the police were basically from Barcelona. Were basically saying that they had 1,500 police on for security, and there's no way that they can actually reach those numbers with what's going on with respect to uh, um, the 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 protests in Japan because they're just stretched very thin. And so what they've decided to do is they decided to either switch the game so that they play this game in the Camp Nou, sorry, in the Bernabéu or that they actually wanted to kind of postpone it right for later so i'm not sure if it's a a stadium ban, per se but the way that they're also deciding this is kind of strange is that there's going to be uh the the what is it the competition uh committee or something like that and it's basically made up from one uh president of the uh one from uh, uh from la liga i think uh and then an independent guy. So, you know, basically, they don't want this game to be played in... Uh, I just don't think that... I don't think this game is going to happen, to be honest
0: with you. Well, both clubs have said that the game cannot be played at the burnabout. So, I, my my thought was they would just... Well,
1: it's really not up to them, though. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, like, my thought was they would flip the match, right? So, you'd play... Like, every team plays each other home and away anyway. So, I didn't think that this was going to be... Uh, it, it is a big deal, though. But I, I've been I've been seeing even further to that that Barcelona won't get home games for the rest of the season. They'll have to play somewhere else.
1: I never heard anything about that. I mean, uh, that seems a little bit outlandish. But it, it, if it is, I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I don't understand why they would do something like that. No, I think um, the,
0: it'll that, cause more. In, in my opinion, it'll cause more problems uh, than solution.
1: I read Sid Lowe's article this morning. About yeah, okay,
0: this. but he's a fascistista you Well, know, He not
1: really is, but he actually had some really good analysis about about what what was going on here. And I, I mean, I, I didn't come across anything saying that they would give a stadium ban to Barcelona for the rest of the season. Uh, but uh, one of the things that he did say was that you know, uh, the, like he, he was being, he said it with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. You know, this is maybe the game that they should play in the United States. But uh, I, I don't think within, what, 10 days to plan something like this, I don't think they can pull it off. I actually have a, I actually have a, have a solution to this. They should go play in Buenos Aires. They should play one in the Bombonera and one in, the, in uh, River Plate State, in the Monumental, okay, uh, given, given that they played the Copa Libertadores in the Santiago
0: Bernabeu. Yeah, that could work too, but I don't think that's going to happen. I was being facetious. Yeah. Uh, in Portugal, we have Porto versus Femme Licale. Uh It will be interesting to see if Femme Licale can continue to maintain their pace at the top of the table. Thoughts? Do you think they can do it? You know,
1: I I, I, I I don't feel qualified to answer this. Uh, the only thing I can say is I hope they do. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I really don't know much about the team other than the fact that they're, uh, I think, a feeder team for Atlético Madrid. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it would be amazing. It would be amazing to see this, this team finish in the top three in, in Portugal. But I, I, I think that's wishful thinking.
0: Uh, so we'll move on to Germany to wrap up our, our our match previews here. A couple of really good matches at the top of the table, actually. Uh, so you have Leipzig versus Wolfsburg, uh, and Dortmund versus your and Gladbach, uh, both on Saturday. Two. Yeah, very- that's a derby.
1: Uh, that is going to be a great game. Uh, I, I I I I really hope. You know, that now that TSN seems to show the only games they seem to show is the, the Bundesliga. I hope they have the, the foresight to show this match.
0: Isn't it Sportsnet?
1: Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I stand corrected. You're right. It is Sportsnet. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, this is the match of the weekend, to be quite honest with you. This is going to be a great match.
0: I, I agree. And and lastly, we'll, we'll jump back over to North America. to the first round of MLS Cup Playoffs. Uh, Toronto hosting DC United in what could very well be Wayne Rooney's last game in MLS as he makes the jump to be the player manager of Derby County. Um, Thoughts on Wayne Rooney's MLS career. Do you have any?
1: It's the MLS. I mean, I expected Rooney to play this well in that league. I mean, let's be honest. uh, I I don't think MLS... Is at the caliber that it should be. Let's just put it that way.
0: Although I would say it's improved, you have missed a, quite a season. No, no,
1: I don't deny that it's improved. Uh, I just don't. I just think it should be much better than, than than what it should be. I think what they should be doing is they should stop buying these European retreaded players. Okay, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, if they're going to start buying, start buying some real stars. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, so. I think that's going to just about do it for us. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we recorded a, we recorded a session with one of our favorite co-hosts. Uh, what was that? Last week, this past weekend, um, on uh, a topic of their choosing. I'm not going to spoil it. So when we come back, uh, it'll be an older piece that we recorded this past weekend for you all to enjoy. Julian, final thoughts on anything?
1: Yeah, uh, looking forward uh, to uh, watching Atalanta play this weekend. Uh, I really, really love the way that they've been playing in the league in Italy, and I hope it continues.
0: That's great. I'm hoping that uh, I don't just cry all day Sunday. Uh, Uh,
1: It's not that bad, guys. You don't know what's good unless you know what's bad.
0: Yeah, well, we know bad, don't we, right now. I'm a Leaf fan. I know what bad is.
1: No, you don't. Leafs have never gone from the heights of glory like Manchester United to the plummets.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's
1: just mediocrity. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Take care. All right. And we are back. Uh, we're really excited that today a former co-host has well, is joining us uh, and is going to discuss, uh, I don't want to say controversial, like a controversial striker, but I think there's definitely a lot of differing opinions on just how good of a striker he was. So Bridget, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: So I'll let you jump right in. I'm not going to steal the thunder and let anybody know who we're talking about. So I'll let you jump right into it
2: okay thanks um well i have to admit that i kind of strong-armed uh steve and julian into letting me talk about um el nino fernando torres um i'm sure most people know who that is but uh he actually retired from the professional game on the twenty this past 23rd of august and i don't believe he got the fanfare that he deserved at his retirement Um, if anyone doesn't know, um, just sort of a refresher, he is a Spanish footballer. He played professionally in Spain, England, Italy, and Japan. Um, he represented his country, um, in international tournaments. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think, I think he deserved more, his retirement deserved more attention than it got. Um, but football can be really fickle when it comes to recognition of individual effort or recognition of like the, the role that individuals play in a team. And, um, you know, like people really like the one club man or they like someone who retires before they get too wonky or, you know, we have these ideas of people we hold up and Torres just doesn't fit one of those narratives. He sort of half fit a lot of them, but, um, he didn't fully fit that narrative. And, I maybe that's why he didn't get the recognition at his retirement that I thought he deserved. And I kind of would argue that probably has something to do with his time at Chelsea. Now, just like to review a little bit, um, he, he, you know, he played in lots. You know, Torres played for Spain. He played in lots of youth matches, but I don't think we need to review all of those. What's most important, I think, is probably um, that he was in the Spain squad that won Euro 2008. He won, he was in the Spain squad that won um, World Cup in 2010 and Euro 2012. Um, his clubs were Atletico Madrid, which is the team he grew up supporting. Um, his grandfather used to take him to matches, and, and that's how he that's how he loved how he came to love football. But he loved Atletico Madrid as much as he loved the game itself. He played in their youth team, and he made his professional debut in the senior team at the age of seventeen. That's and amazing. His, I know it's amazing. That's What's amazing. even more amazing is that he was made captain at the ludicrously young age of 19.
1: That's, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. And that, I mean, that, I think that says something about because he really did embrace the role and he was very good at it. And someone actually pointed out to me a while ago, I can't remember who it was, that actually he was Simeone's captain when Simeone played at Atletico. I remember that. It's it's just, I just love that because it's just kind of like, there's like a, a leapfrogging kind of presence there.
1: Yeah, I think that um, was that was the return. I think Simeone had done like two – he did a, an initial tour at, at Atletico, then he went to Italy, and then he, I believe he came back, and that's uh-huh. when he found them there, yeah. Yeah,
2: I, I trust your memory on that. I mean, I don't know as much about
1: – Well, I, all i got to say is just before you get any further, uh, you, you, your, your boy played for my club for a while. And uh, so anybody who comes to AC Milan, you know, uh, uh, we always have uh, uh, a connection to them, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I
2: mean, he he didn't distinguish himself at AC Milan. Well,
1: it's kind of a a difficult thing to do these (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um. So anyways, Torres loved Atleti, And I read somewhere, now I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that he had... An opportunity to move to the Premier League sooner than he did, but he wanted to stay at Atletico until they were more successful, so his fee was higher when he left, which I think it says something about his love for his team. So then he moved to Liverpool in the summer of 2007, and his fee was around £20 million. And I say around because, as you know, fees are never fully – like, we never – the public doesn't have a right to know what a fee is and so it's just kind of like at the leisure of whatever club if they want to talk about it if they if they don't want to talk about it so that's the, the figure I, I, I saw and when he was at Liverpool this is kind of like the high point of his career I think and I'm not just saying that as a Liverpool supporter but like when you look at the number of goals like he was scoring every 1.8 games on average 79 goals in 141 games like he made 50 goals Fat for Liverpool faster than Robbie Fowler did, which I, I think is a sore point for Robbie Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and
0: then
2: and then in he broke the english transfer English transfer fee record um, when he left Liverpool for Chelsea in two thousand and eleven. And it was fifty million pounds, and it upset a lot of people, and it was just a terrible time. For me personally, but like for a lot of reasons. It was just a terrible time. And then he failed to score at Chelsea for like three months or something.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, there was a website at the time that my now husband showed me um, that it was something like has Fernando Torres scored for Chelsea yet.com something like that. And it was just a blank page with the word no, <laughs> which is brutal. Like it's just brutal. And then, you know, like, he did a lot of really interesting things at Chelsea, and then he moved to, as you mentioned, AC Milan in August uh, 2014, scored once, and they then bought him in January 2015, but he made 10 appearances total scoring That's once, amazing. and, like, someone made some crack about that being one of the most expensive goals in history.
1: Yeah, it was yeah and then
2: so then they loaned him after buying him they loaned him immediately back to atletico madrid um where he stayed on stayed there on loan until atleti signed him back for 2016-2017 a one-year contract and then he got another one-year contract for 17-18 and then went to segun which i apologize for my pronunciation but i've only ever seen it written so that's in the j league in japan um and that was he was there from July 2018 um, to uh, this past August. He announced his retirement in June, and then his last match was actually against David Villa and Anderson Yasta, who were yeah. playing on the, the team that 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 Sekintosu was was playing at that yeah. time. And it was apparently a pretty brutal loss, but of course I couldn't watch it because it wasn't on television here. So that's the summary of his career. Yeah. Um,
1: just a question here. Do you you think that Chelsea was the kiss of death for him?
2: Well, I mean, the thing with Chelsea is, like, I have to admit something, which is that when he went to Chelsea, I felt so personally betrayed. And I know, like, it's not just it's not just me, like lots of Liverpool supporters felt personally betrayed, but, um, I couldn't actually watch a lot of football for about the next two years because it just felt like it was just so, such a huge thing. I know that seems melodramatic. No, not Um, at
1: all. You should see the way Steve behaves.
2: Yeah, well, it's just like, you know, these things, like, they feel, like, personal, you know, like, you, you they feel so personal, they just feel, like, I felt, I, I just felt awful, because he kept, you know, he had said all sorts of things in the previous World Cup, he'd been, you know, he, he, he there's photos of him and at the World Cup wearing a Liverpool scarf, and I was like, oh, well, that's gotta mean something, well, and but- then... But- but I, but I mean, like, there's some stuff recently that's come out about his his transfer and to Chelsea and that time that I'm gonna get to it a little bit and we can discuss it that I think kind of sheds some light on what happened.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't because, feel I wouldn't feel so bad about you know boycotting football uh, for a couple of years. I went through a full pizza on a TV uh, because my club lost uh, to Juventus, so <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't feel so bad about that. I woke my
0: neighbors <laughs> up at three in the morning, yeah. screaming at so TV. like you know, so, yeah.
1: We're all part of the same club, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well,
2: it's just like, you know, it's such I um, I don't know how to say it apart from it feels very personal. I'm like, because you can't explain it to people who don't feel this way. <laughs> well, no, I fr- like, because, And I remember I used to be one of those people who didn't understand sports. And then I started watching. it. It's like, no, no, your heart is in there. A
1: good, we- a good friend of mine who's from Montevideo once said to me, he goes, people like you and I, we don't just watch football. We feel football. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what it comes down to, you know?
2: Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing, too. And I feel like one of the things, one of the reasons that I really pushed for you to let me talk about Torres is because I feel that I need to do some sort of penance <laughs> for hating him. Because, like, so, so you know, like, I just, uh, Liverpool is my team, and, and i just so happy about, you know, everything that was happening. And Spain was with my team, and I was so happy about everything that was happening. And then when he left, it was this thing like, oh, God! what now and um and then i was so angry about it that i feel a little bit like i have to do penance for that because like it's not his fault
1: (laughs) you know no, that that's fine. I mean, like I said, uh, uh, maybe that should be our question for the week is what is the craziest thing you've done over a football match or a football player or, uh, or something like that? Uh, I, I, and I'm pretty sure uh, 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 your penance is probably uh, would be mild compared to some of, of what we would have to pay for that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well I just feel like, you know, I, I I was angry with him and then having learned about things later as all the all these things that happened around twenty ten and twenty eleven as they become they became public, I was like, Oh no, he was going through like that was a terrible situation, which I will get to right away because like the two things that I really I wanna discuss with you guys here is first his style and then secondly this thing with Chelsea because I think like I believe that Chelsea was one of the reasons why you know, like we have this perception of him as having gone into decline or something, but he didn't. I mean, with Chelsea, he won. He, he won so many things at his, when he was at Chelsea. Was yeah. when, um, you know, he. Well, I've got some stats here. Like he won the Europa League with Chelsea and the Champions League and the FA Cup. Like those, like that was a good time for him.
1: No, that, that, but, that yeah, I mean, most players would would die to have that on on their uh, on their resume. You know. Of course,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I mean, of course. I mean, I'm not. I mean, Chelsea is not my team, so yeah. maybe that's why it, it. kind of you know I kind of ignored it. But like I mean, being part of that team signifies something about his career. So we have this perception of him as having done all these different things. Like you know, like sort of declined. But I don't. I don't think. I don't think he did. I well, no, he didn't. He just didn't.
1: Well, can you tell us what 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 he was going through when he was at Chelsea?
2: Okay, so well, I mean, this is something. Uh, I have to be really careful about this because I want to make sure I get the facts straight. Um I told me
1: Chelsea. <laughs> well,
2: you know, you just you, you wanna do it you wanna be fair to everyone, right? Um and so the thing is like it wasn't it wasn't specifically a Chelsea thing and it wasn't specifically a Liverpool thing, but um, I mean his time his time at Chelsea I think was hard because he had been sort of a favorite at Liverpool. He had been the, the main striker. And at Chelsea, he had, to, he had to fight to get on the pitch. He had to fight to get into the starting 11. Um, and a lot of the guys at Chelsea were sort of bigger guys. So, like, there's a lot of – there's a different kind of competition there. And, like, you know I love stats. And I went and I looked this up. And he has four red cards in his entire career. One of them was when he was at Atleti, and it was against Barcelona, and it was a Champions League match. And I would chalk that one up to him caring too much. But his three other red cards were at Chelsea. So I feel like there's a there's a certain amount of pressure there, and it's like a different atmosphere where he's fighting to get on the team, and he's fighting to represent, and he's fighting to play in a way that he wasn't at Liverpool. So that's going to psychologically be be difficult, Um, especially since like. I mean his style. I mean when you're yeah, his his style is sort of based on capturing a thing as it happens. There are some now. Now I have to admit, I don't know a huge amount about you know, that about being a forward. I don't know a huge amount of different techniques. But when I observe him, as opposed to, say, Messi, Messi feels like he's got control of everything and he knows what's going to happen. And it's about creating a situation and being in that sort of thing. Um, Fernando Torres was... Was the kind of striker. Oh, God, I can't. I have to talk about him in past tense. Uh, (laughs) He was the kind of striker who would be like, oh, I got this. I'm going to do that. And it requires you to think very quickly. It requires you to move very quickly and it requires you to take a gamble. So like he's an opportunist opportunist rather than a planner. And I think the planner, planner strikers have more longevity because it's about control and understanding and developing skill. And the real kicker with this, with, a, with that kind of like opportunist style is that you have to trust you know what you're doing. And so if you're in a situation like where he was at Chelsea fighting to get on the pitch, that kind of thing, he's not going to have the, he's not going to trust himself. Now, this is not an original thought with me. I've observed it, but I, I mean, I'm, you know, like I've read so many different articles and I, and, and other people have made this observation and, but I really do think that it was a matter, like a huge, a huge matter of, um, him not trusting himself. And the best example is that famous missed open goal when he was at Chelsea. Yeah.
1: But, you know, I, I want to interject here. Um, you know, this is, you know, the usually this type of player is usually referred to as a goal poacher. And sometimes it's a pejorative term. But he was, he was a natural goal scorer. And I mean, like in, in, in Spain, they kind of refer to that as un butre, uh, a, a vulture. The best example I can think of was uh, when Hugo Ch- Sanchez, the, the great Mexican player, played at Real Madrid. Like he might touch the ball only four times in a game, but he would score two goals. You know what I mean? And I think uh, 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 Torres was the same kind of player. Like, these guys are lethal and ruthless Uh at the same time. So, I mean, I I, I don't think that should be seen as a mark against him. That was the question I was going to have. I mean, do you really think that that this makes him a lesser player? I, I don't.
2: Uh, No, I don't. But I think it's something that um, if you're going to force a player to remain the same kind of player they've always been, it's going to be a problem if it's something like that. Because as you get older, you just naturally slow down. So like as a matter of physiology, he wasn't able to make the. And this is not an original thought with me. I did actually read this that like, like, if you're that kind of striker, and you're approaching 30, you're not going to be as fast physically, just because you're not. And so, like, if, you know, if he, if he's not allowed to change roles, then, of course, you know, he's not going to be playing like a 24-year-old anymore. But that doesn't mean he's not a good player. Because, like, this is the thing. So, when he was on his, you know, his sort of second bout at Atletico, there were some Amazing goals there, but the thing is, Simeone knew where to put him and he knew what to do with him. So, like, he would fall back a little bit. He would support other strikers. He wasn't scoring goals as much as he had been, but he was still valuable as a presence on the pitch and and even beyond playing. He was valuable as sort of a symbolic presence, as in like Simeone would put him on during Champions League uh, games because he'd won the Champions League with Chelsea. And this, I mean, this can't help can't have not, oh, I shouldn't structure sentences like that. This must have helped some of the younger players with sort of a sense of, yeah, we know what we're doing, a sense of leadership. So it's like his role changed, but he wasn't any less valuable in that role. It and was like al- emblematic of
1: something. And also when you have a player like that, it attracts attention, right? Because you're always looking behind you or be, uh, or beside you, uh, uh, and, and defenses will always pay closer attention, opening up and freeing space up for other players. And okay. that that that's one of the things that, that you know, we often miss and I think, when we analyze football. It's not so much what you do when you have the ball. It's what you do when you don't have the ball, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, um, um yeah, you, we were talking about why, why Chelsea was hard. That was – and I, I, sort of, I sort of drifted there. Yeah. But there's the other thing that I've been re- reading recently. It wasn't just being at Chelsea that was hard. Um, It was that the move to Chelsea was hard. And that this is something like we all, we, I say we, I mean Liverpool fans. A lot of us felt very, very well betrayed we felt very upset about him leaving because it was you know there was all this sort of thing that sort of the 11th hour request that he made to go to chelsea like we didn't know he was going to go to chelsea until two days before the transfer window closed even oh i don't even know if it was that it was it was right at the very end like the dying minutes of the january transfer window and then we were like oh god we lost him and 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 there were so many people who were upset about this and i mean like um of course, I had I had online friends, <laughs> other fans of Liverpool, and we and, and who just felt entirely betrayed by this. Um, and he kind of came across as having you know having just sort of stabbed us in the back kind of thing. But there's been some recent interviews, and I I read this interview with Torres on the Anfield Rap web website, which is I mean the Anfield Rap clearly it's it's Liverpool based and um, he said a couple of things that were really, that really cast another light on it on that time. And, um, so like when Torres had come to Liverpool, um, everything looked Everything looked amazing. It was gonna be it was gonna be really great. They had a really strong team. The two thousand eight two thousand nine season was really good. I mean, Steve, you probably remember this because um, it was down to Liverpool or Manchester United for winning the league that year, and it was like it was like one goal, and the games were being played at the same time. I can't remember the details, but it was really really tense. Um, but uh, then two thousand nine two thousand ten was really difficult. They'd lost um Javi Alonso. Um they'd lost a couple of people. Um at the end of that season, Benitez was let go. And um Torres kind of this is from the interview he explained, um, you know, he went to he went to sort of the leadership and asked, you know, what what are the plans? Because he didn't really know. And at the time the club was in trouble financially and the owners wanted to hold on to Torres until they sold the club. Because they could get a get a better price mm-hmm. with him still playing for them, yeah. and he remembers it as being like they kept saying to him, "We'll sell the club and then you can leave." And he said, he says in this interview, "No one said we want you to stay. You're part of the plan." It was just essentially it was a given that he was going to leave. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can't help but feel for the guy, as in like, you know, he's asking, "Should I stay?" Or you know what should, what what's going on, and they're saying you can leave. So it's like he's not being valued. Um, and then um, it's also come out quite recently that around that time, um, the company that ended up buying, which was uh, it's Fenway Sports Group, um, had were had, had sort of this idea that both Torres and Pepe Reina were quote probably beyond their primes. So, like, there's this kind of devaluing of him. Now, I don't know if he knew that, but there's, but it's like kind of known that that um, this was kind of the attitude towards him at the time. Um, and so, I feel like he was, him as a human being, was not respected. And then the further thing that I learned from this interview was that he believes that his request for a transfer was made public as a way of drawing ire towards him and away from the club as in like it was strategic and that just I mean that just you know he's 27 at the time which isn't a child but it's still like he's a young a young guy and just being disrespected like that and just my heart goes out to him yeah, And so, like, I mean, being in those circumstances, and he has he wasn't able to talk about this until really recently, and being in those circumstances, you can sort of see the kind of pressure he was under.
1: Yeah. I, I think that was, like, a, a kind of a difficult time. I mean, that's, you know, when, when Liverpool basically had what they were calling the Spanish mafia there, you know, with Benitez, Xavi mm. uh, Alonso, and, uh, well, the Argentine Mascarano, which I forgot about until this morning. But, uh, I mean... The thing about it is is that you know you can't be in this day and age among those super clubs you're a bo- you're a price tag very rarely do they have that kind of connection to you it's it's the connection i think that the player develops with the fans that it becomes mm-hmm. more pivotal at that point you know
2: Yeah and i mean he he talks he always talks about Liverpool fondly um but, I mean, the thing is, he's made very clear in interviews that his heart belongs to Atletico Madrid, and that's really, really obvious and in wh- everything.
1: That's why, where I love the guy. is uh, There isn't a more lovable team, in my opinion, than uh, the Los Colchoneros, uh, yeah. you know, for what they signify, you know, working-class part of Madrid, working-class club. He never went to play for the Barca or the Real Madrid. You know what I mean? He was always yeah. loyal. That, 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 to me, is awesome.
2: Well, he had this, there's this really, I love this bit in the, in his um Torres, my story, El Nino, my story, I think is what it's called, um, where he's talking about how much he, when he was at Liverpool, one of the best things was beating Real Madrid. Like he was still, it didn't, that, like, that was, he, he loved being able to beat Real Madrid. In the I, Champions League, I, I, and it's like that was a bigger deal to him than anything that was
1: happening in the Premier League. You know, I mean, that, that's probably—I mean, you know—that's probably a, a product of him growing up, a, a you know, a full-on supporter for uh, for Athletic, you know. And uh, yeah. I, those things, those things resonate gr- a great deal when when you know you're kind of a die-in-the-wall fan and, and player of a club, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just just for my two cents, I I used to be. Um, I used to have an attitude for about five years uh, towards Liverpool that anything that came out of Liverpool that was kind of ambivalent because of uh, the defeat that uh, uh, AC Milan suffered at, at their hands uh, in the Champions League in Istanbul. But um, for me, I, I remember what really turned my head was the performance he gave in the 2008 final for Spain and um, in, in, uh, in the European Championship and uh, I'll never forget. I watched that game with my father at the Anchor Inn in Little Current, Ontario, at the, on Manitoulin Island. And uh, he just gave an extraordinary performance. And he bagged the goal too, which was which mm. was uh, which was the the cherry on top of the cake, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I of course, of course, all of these all all footballers are sort of packaged for public consumption. But I think that Fernando Torres is actually a really good guy. And the thing that really makes me think that is um, you know, because like he was, you know, 2012 in the Euros, they were doing well and 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 the my favorite thing that's sort of emblem like it's emblematic of him is that he in that match against Italy, he sort of just gave a goal to Juan Mata. And he didn't have to. He could have taken it, but he gave it to Juan Mata. Like I mean, I look at that and I think he could have ta- he could have talked taken that himself, but he gave it to his friend. And I think like that, you know, maybe I'm being romantic about this and maybe I'm just being like really sentimental or, 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 or irrational about it, but it just, that strikes me as something about his character. And that's kind of, that kind of just tr- translates in the way he plays mm-hmm. played past tense. God.
1: That's okay. It's all right. I still feel the same way about Paolo Maldini to This to this day. I can't oh, believe yeah. I can't believe he's doing such a shitty job at managing my, my club on top of everything else. But it, it, this is good. This is exactly why we have this pod. It's precisely so that people like you can express this, the, this, this kind of loyalty and fanship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, I, I kind of just want to go beyond the the sort of the, the you know the sort of stereotypical perception of things and so this i guess is my my larger point is that i think that he had an incredible career but the difficulty with chelsea has led us to have this idea that he declined or he he was a flash in the pan but i don't i don't think that's fair and i think it's you know you need to need to consider the whole of a person rather than a handful of like sound bites.
1: A couple of years, a couple of weeks ago we spoke about cult players and cult you know fans cult players. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he just a cult player or do you think he, he deserves more than just that standing?
2: Well, I think he's a symbolic player. he's um I think that specific like specifically for Letty, I think he um he me he has a greater meaning than the than his, than just himself and his career because he's kind of like uh but because he is so loyal because he grew up um supporting the team because you know he bleeds for that team literally I mean there was that he got knocked unconscious in 2017 I think yeah and they had to bring it up anyways yeah you know like he he's willing to do that for for that team and I think that um a player like that can have meaning beyond their actual playing time. I wouldn't say that he's a cult player because it's not a single, it's not a single team that he's like that. Because the other thing too is uh, when he re- when he talks about Liverpool, it's always with fondness. And when he went back to play a charity match in 2015, um, the fans. When, you know the fans who had been so angry with him for going to Chelsea brought out all the old songs you know yeah um and and he he noticed that and he talked about it in an interview but I think like I think it's just like um I don't know if he's a cult player but I think there's a lot of love for him from a lot of different corners
1: yeah I, I definitely I, I, as a Spanish national too right Steve, uh, what do you think of, uh, of Fernando as we kind of come to the end of the segment?
0: You know, he destroyed us when he was playing at Liverpool, so I've always kind of hated him, not particularly <laughs> liked him. And then when he went to Chelsea and missed the open net, I loved him again. <laughs> um, uh, I enjoyed watching the 2013 final, even yeah. though they continued. You know, the reason that we have a name is Bella Hutman's curse. And that's, they beat Benfica Fika. in another final. Uh, Rafa Benitez was the coach and Juan Mata was in that team. Yeah. And so was Pilaqueta. So there was a Spanish connection. Yeah, once again. That I think kind of brought them all back together. But no, I think he deserves a lot of respect for going back to Atleti and doing what he did. Um, yeah, I've never been a huge fan of any player that decides to go to Japan or... China or MLS or anything. They got cash in, dude. So that, I I, I don't want to say it sours it a little bit for me. I would have preferred to see him just retire with that, Letty, but...
2: I know. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that.
0: Well, you know what? We are coming to the end of the
1: segment, and we just want to thank you for this marvelous piece of work. And uh, we want to invite you back in a couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll, you'll... you'll have another gem like this for us.
2: Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity to just talk about this subject that I care about so much.
0: Anytime. Perfect.
2: (laughs) So that
0: wraps it up for us today. Bridget, once again, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week.